Good morning. Before we get started, I wanted to let you know that starting today and for the next 16 episodes, we're going to try something a little different on the Daily Wrestling News Show. John and I will be working together on these episodes to bring you a deep dive on a particular topic. Today's topic is the mysterious death of Dino Bravo. The next 15 episodes are going to cover WrestleManias 1 through 15 as we lead up to this year's WrestleMania event. Don't worry, though. We'll get back to our normal schedule, 5 to 10 minute episodes, starting on April 3rd. That said, welcome to the March 10th episode of the Daily Wrestling News Show, where we are on a mission to teach, learn, and remember the history of professional wrestling with everyone that wants to join us. My name is Ryan Joy, and on today's episode, we are talking about the mysterious death of Dino Bravo, and of course, as I said, with me is John DeCami. So, John, March 10th, 1993, Dino Bravo was found dead in his home. Uh, it is 30 years to the day that that tragedy had occurred, so uh, so it makes sense that uh, we would get together today to have a conversation about that, but I guess in general what what does Dino Bravo mean to you as a wrestler? Like, you know, looking back in those, on those, you know, the days when you, when he was active and we were watching. He was a lot of fun. He was a great, you know, international heel. And when I think of him, I think of him, I think of Morocco. And then I think of guys like Pedro Morales and Bruno, the big, barrel-chested, hulking guys, not necessarily the ultimate warrior, Lex Luger, you know, bodybuilders, like the just big country strong brutes is how I see Bravo. And I remember, you know, he was just, he was a lot of fun to watch. Uh, and, you know, he had what, like a six-year run in the WWF uh, and they used him very well. But unfortunately, as they discussed in this episode, he didn't really, I mean, he had gotten by so long being the Hulk Hogan of Montreal that uh, he didn't really change his style to adapt with the times, which were clearly changing in that time. And they kind of ran out of use for him. And after his territory had gone under, when he left for the WWF, there was nothing for him to fall back on. And hence, we get to the tragedy. You know, Dino, in my mind, is kind of a perfect example of why you study wrestling history. When you when you look at his career, starting in the territory, specifically international wrestling in Montreal, and you follow his career through, you discover that he made a lot of the same mistakes that his contemporaries did, a lot of the same mistakes that other members of territories did, and. John and I both watched rewatched the Dark Side of the Ring on Dino's passing because it's really, as far as I know, the only real coverage that's available on uh, on Dino Bravo and his untimely death. But what you learn when you get into studying Dino Bravo is he was an enormous star in Montreal. This is a place that in the territory days of wrestling was drawing two million fans to their Sunday afternoon or Sunday evening television show. Yeah. And that's regional based. And again, I, you know, you can't always do apples to apples. It's not the same thing, but when you compare it to today, you know, raw doesn't always pull in 2 million people. So the fact that a small territory in Canada can pull in 
2 million people when raw doesn't pull in 2 million people in all of Canada today. <laughs> that's pretty impressive. Absolutely. Yeah. They, it's, and it's amazing as we found out as we watched those tales from the territory, that dynamic existed spotting all over North America, you know, like it, you know, um, what was it? The Memphis territory drew, you know, X amount of millions for their Saturday morning show. And this one had a you know, Monday evening show. Like these territories are just all in on their local stars. And it is, you know, you, you may not in Calgary, they may have barely known who was the star in Quebec, but in Quebec household name, absolutely a household name. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. To your point. I mean, when we watched the Memphis episode of uh, Tales from the Territory, I'm pretty sure it was Jimmy Hart who said that the town shut down. Yeah. You know, at businesses closed because wrestling was on. People came in off the tractors, I think he said. Um, so you got to imagine it was kind of similar. Uh, Montreal is probably a bigger metro, metro area than Memphis. So the two million people, you know, it's, I would say. It's, it's a lot. But I asked you the question about Dino Bravo, like kind of like where do you place him, you know, in with your in your memory bank? And for me, he was just kind of a guy that was there. Um, he never felt like a tip top guy, even though I know he worked programs with Hogan and he worked, you know, some programs with the top guys. He never really made it up there in my mind right. in the WWF in his WWF run. Although I know he was enormous in Montreal, I guess. Where I saw, where I kind of see him having his biggest impact would have been when Hogan was feuding with Earthquake, and Dino was kind of among you know Earthquake's allies in that perspective. Uh, but yeah, you mentioned Don Morocco as a as a guy that he would be paired up with in the early days uh, that you would see him on WWE programming, and I recall that. And and of course, the world's strongest man gimmick with Jesse Ventura putting his you know his hands on the on the bar to help him break the world record and Ventura would go on to say he only put two pounds of pressure on there. So even if, even if, you know, he helped, it was, it still would have broken the record, but uh, you know, th those are like the, the, the key memories I have of Dino Bravo. And of course uh, on the dark side of the ring, they talked a lot about his, him being managed by Jimmy Hart. But if you go back to WrestleMania four and earlier and stuff, you see him with Frenchie Martin. So, right. Uh, you know, definitely playing off his his Quebec heritage there. <laughs> and what <laughs> what a son of a bitch Vince is. You know, we've talked about this before. He brings guys in, and if they were already established stars, he would kind of humble them a little bit with their gimmick. He was from Quebec, so you understand why Vince went that way. But in Canada, hockey's everything. And he was a diehard Habs fan, a Montreal Canadiens fan, which means he hated the Quebec Nordiques. And Vince dressed him up essentially in Quebec Nordiques colors and get, you know, the, the fleur de lis <laughs> and the, the, the light blue and white. Now, obviously, the Montreal Canadiens are red, white, and blue, and you didn't want to do that when you're making this guy an anti-American heel. But like it's, I, I, I gotta think that Vince, in the back of his mind, you know, Dino kind of held out. He didn't necessarily want to come there. He was mad when Vince took Haku and uh, the Rougeaus. 
earlier. Martel, the Rougeaus, exactly. So when he finally did come, you kind of feel like it was a little bit of needling, you know, like you go out there and, you know, go out there and represent something that while you represent that area, sports are very important to you. And it's basically like telling a Yankee fan to go out there in a Boston Red Sox hat. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so on uh, in international wrestling, the territory that Dino was coming up in, uh, I mentioned before that you could follow Dino and he, he had the same sort of trajectory as everybody. Um, he was part owner and part booker. And in so doing, like so many other bookers that were also promoters, he promoted himself into the main event. Sure. And he didn't ever want to leave that. I, you know, you can understand. I guess he didn't ever want to really like relinquish that position. It's the same mistake that many, many, many other promoters made over the years. Uh, and in in all of those case studies, all of those companies had those people had really, really high moments in those promotions, and then the whole promotion would begin to sink because they didn't invest in new talent. Uh, you know, this happened to the Sheik Ed Farhat and Big Time Wrestling. Happened here, international wrestling, with uh, with Dino Bravo, who who had good talent. The Rougeos, Martel, as we mentioned, you know, these are big national names uh, that that people would learn to, you know, would come to know. But because those people couldn't escalate up the card, Jacques Rougeau was on dark side of the ring. Said, "I thought I was a main eventer, but it couldn't get out of the third match." They left big time. Yeah. And it wasn't a, a sure thing. Jacques Rougeau recalls getting the phone call from Vince McMahon, and he says, I don't know if I want to go. It's a jungle out there. <laughs> but he, he had done everything he could do in that regional promotion, so he went on to uh, to WWF. And then eventually the promotion would start falling, money would get tight, and Dino Bravo himself would go and he made he would made three hundred thousand dollars a year from Vince McMahon with uh, an upside of up to like a million dollars. So he, you know, so he was making more money working for Vince than he ever could promoting big time uh, international wrestling. Absolutely. So the thing, you know, the, you know, you talked about how Vince dressed him up in the Nordiques colors and stuff. Vince also had him dye his hair blonde, which is a huge sticking point. <laughs> uh dino was a proud man and didn't love being blonde but uh as jacques rougeau points out that if in a regional promotion you know you do your best to kind of get yourself over or whatever on the national stage you are just a number you are a character you are an actor in the show and you have to do what they say and they said you will be blonde <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so this this proud Canadian Italian man was made to look, you know, like just a, a bleach blonde. And you know what? I, I don't know that I'm sure he didn't enjoy it, but the fact that it immediately drew laughs from the boys is what right. really nuts. <laughs> they busted his balls and he didn't take kindly to it. The other thing that um you know really stuck into me that about you know Dino Bravo and and uh, his participation in the territory style. Uh, Jacques Rougeau and others were telling a story about a bar fight that they got into. And so, and a, a, a hockey player, a Nordique, 
called him phony and Dino <laughs> pulled him, picked him up, threw him into his car and, uh, and laid him out. So, you know, protecting the business, protecting himself, you know, uh, so more territory esque type of stuff. Yes, exactly. And it was, it was Jacques who started that fight. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Someone Run. told him that there was a, a Nordique player there who was retired at the time. He was a bouncer, but, uh, you know, Jacques threw a, a wild punch and missed him. And, you know, he got started to get tuned up by the former NHLer and Dino stepped in to, kind of and Dino stepped in to calm things according to the story until you know the, he dropped that word phony which is like you know someone telling a Polynesian that wrestling is fake and uh, as you said uh, Dino basically dribbled him off of his Corvette out in the parking area right right so using the dark side of the ring as sort of the basis for our conversation about the the death of Dino Bravo um he finishes up with WWE in 1992, I believe. And yes. so he's in this position now where he had spent a lot of time making a lot of money with Vince McMahon. And he, he has upped his lifestyle. His family has moved into an affluent area. They have a big house. And now he's left WWF. There's no place else where he can go with his skill set as a wrestling promoter slash retired wrestler and bring in the kind of money that he was come bringing in for the previous six years. So he has to figure something out to provide for his family. And I guess it's very common knowledge that Dino became a, basically a cigarette smuggler. Right. It, you know, first he was a, you know, kind of a bodyguard and enforcer, a debt collector because his cousins, he, you know, he was, Although he didn't grow up in the business and he didn't actively participate, you know, until I guess he was retired, he was a blood relative of the Catroni family, who are the, you know, first family of organized crime in Canada and specifically Montreal. Yeah, exactly. And so Dino was well known in the area and he's big, hulking, thick, barrel chested guy. And so he's perfect for that debt collector role. Yeah. And the circumstances that led to his death are kind of kind of fascinating. He he's in he's in making good, I guess good, really good money on the cigarette trade. And he's um he's he's working with the First Nations and stuff like that. And in the meantime, you know, linked up with his family the family business, I guess, that he wasn't a part of the Catronis uh, in, in, the, in the mafia group, I guess. Um, so he's linked up with them, but on the outsides, you've got, you've got the first nations people, you've got the bikers, uh, the biker gangs and things like that. And Dino's doing so well with the cigarette business. Well, the, the cocaine people come along and they're like, maybe we can work something out. I can get in on some of your cigarette deals. You can get in on some of my cocaine deals. And they, come to some agreement and in the next step in in what happens here i guess is that dino receives about a four hundred thousand dollar shipment of cigarettes and he has them sitting in a storage locker and apparently the the cocaine guy is supposed to come and get pick up the the shipment or whatever and they end up sitting there for three days 
Well, Dino was actually filmed with police investigators in the area of the the store the cigarette storage. So when the cocaine guy comes to pick up his the cigarette shipment, he gets arrested. And now you got the two factions that are pointing fingers. Dino saying, "Why did you wait three days to go pick this up?" Those guys are saying, "You set me up because we have there's footage of you with the police." All that happens, and then it's about three days later that somebody enters Dino's home in the evening. Dino is sitting watching TV, and Dino is murdered. He's murdered in his easy chair, recliner, or whatever. With the remote in his hand, he's got seven bullets in the head and four in the chest, or vice versa. I can't remember which. Eleven shots, seventeen casings found in the in the room, and two weapons. Uh, uh, I guess an assault rifle and a pistol are found on the scene. So nobody knows to this day whether it was the people, the First Nations people that got messed, whether it was his own mafia type people whether it was the bikers who took who had executed a contract on behalf of one of the others nobody knows exactly what happened and it is somewhat of a legend at this point of you know there's no question the man was murdered but the fact that he was murdered in his own home sitting in a chair with the remote in hand leads people to believe that he knew his assailant and did not expect to be gunned down in such a manner yeah there was no signs of forced entry uh other than the fact that i guess a few of the both somehow a man's there's no sign of self-defense that you know no no inkling that he tried to avoid it he basically you know he let somebody in the house they were talking and then at some point they pulled their guns and unloaded into him and it, it's just it's it's sad and it's terrible but you know, when you're in that lifestyle, it's unfortunately always on the table. You yeah. can piss off the wrong person, and this can happen in the blink of an eye, and it, it seems like it kind of did. Well, what's what's interesting is the day of the murder, Dino calls Jacques Rougeau and says, you know, can you come see me or whatever? And Jacques says, I can't today, but I can tomorrow. And Jacques says, we're not really friends. I don't know really why he was calling me or whatever, but... Dino says, yes, can you come as soon as you can? Well, Jacques finds out the next morning before at the gas station or whatever that that Dino has passed in such a violent manner. He's um, on his way to Dino's. He's exactly. getting gas on his way to Dino's. And the, you know, the, <clears throat> the gas station attendant recognizes Jacques and says, hey, you know, your buddy got it, didn't he? And Jacques has no idea what he's talking about. He shows him the front page of the Montreal paper that Dino had been found dead. Right. And now, as you watch the dark side of the ring, if you pay close attention, they what they have is they have uh, Dino's neighbor and longtime friend, one of the co-promoters of uh, international wrestling. They have Dino's wife and his and his daughter. They have Jacques Rougeau. They have um, two in uh, two like reporters that had uh, focused on the mafia in Montreal. They have all these people. Nobody has a theory on who's responsible. 
and they are, and especially the family don't even want to theorize. Don't even want to like say it could be this or it could be that. If you watch it closely, they're all like, we're not going to talk about it. And, um, and I, I think there's probably still a little fear there. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, they go out of their way to say how uh, all these years later, even though he talked about it a little bit in uh, an interview in what it was, 2007, Rick Martel was really the only wrestler that Dino talked about this shady part of his life with. And Rick wanted nothing to do with this documentary. Exactly. They, he de- he declined to be interviewed for the documentary. but And, and also, that one interview that he that Rick Martel gave where he talked about it it's really the only basis of information it's the reason we had the details about uh Dino as a cigarette smuggler having a relationship with the with the cocaine people that's the only real reason why that information is is available um I think there was some news reports around the time I mean even even Dave Meltzer had hints of that in the wrestling observer but the full the the more fuller picture has kind of come out with the Martell interview, but he hasn't ever spoken about it since. So it's fascinating. It's 30 years to the day today. Uh, I'm sure there'll be other tributes out that you'll see on social media to Dino Bravo, but uh, what's, you know, a fascinating story only in professional wrestling. (laughs) It seems like something like this could happen. Absolutely. Um, but they talk about it, what his legacy was and his daughter said he had a legacy for passion. He was passionate about everything that he did. And, uh, and that translated to her, even though she was only six years old at the time. And she says she often looks at the pictures because when she looks at the pictures of him, she can sort of still hear his voice, which I think is kind of a, a neat thing. Yeah, sweet and touching. And yeah, when, when you hear her talk about her father, you would think she, you know, had had him into her teen years. And really, I mean, you know, the human brain only really starts creating memories around four or five years old. And her father was dead by the time she was six. Yeah. And she, she talks about him in such glowing terms. And it's so sweet and it's so wonderful. And at the same time, it's so sad. She had him for so little time. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Uh, Gino Brito, who is one of the co-promoters of international wrestling, he sort of closed the episode of Dark Side of the Ring by quoting Shakespeare. It was uh, Mark Anthony and Shakespeare's Julius Caesar, who said, the evil men, the evil that men do lives after them. The good is off interred with the bones. And he said it really, he says it surely should be the other way around. Remember the good and try to forget all the rest, but try not to repeat. And isn't that the whole reason you study history to begin with is to try to not repeat the mistakes of the past. And so often when we look back on territory days, we see um, characters like Dino Bravo come up through and have the careers that they had, whether it be a lot of success in the territories uh, and then kind of drifted away or had a lot of success in the territories like Dino and then parlayed that into a short-term career in the WWF, but then at the end didn't have much to show for it. Um, There's all kinds of little lessons that you can learn from the story of Dino Bravo. Um, So uh, yeah, I think that's, 
that that was a fitting ending to the dark side of the ring. Try not to repeat the mistakes of the past. 100%. John, anything else on the whole subject of Dino Bravo that we should talk about? Uh, not really. I mean, you know, just the, 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 the hockey story was my, probably my favorite in the the piece. Uh, the, the fact that, you know, once he started getting his WWE, WWF money, uh, he bought the big house is that and the other thing. And once again, his lovely little daughter, one of her first memories of her father was her father showing her a red sports car and saying, this is your car. And she <laughs> <laughs> he was poor. Yeah. <laughs> he was proud. He was a proud and, yeah. and that's something that was said a couple of times in the documentary that he was he was a proud man, which is why it struck him so hard when the boy started making fun of him with his blonde hair and stuff like that. But he was also really proud of the success that he was having in WF and therefore wanted to share that with his family, even doing something so ludicrous as buying a four-year-old a car. <laughs> It just speaks to, uh, you know, the, the sweet, you know, because he obviously could be, a, you know, a mean SOB when he turned it on for his character. But the sweetness that he showed to his daughter, you know, just warms your heart. Absolutely. All right. That said, that's going to be our show for today. But do remember that we have 15 episodes focusing on the first 15 uh, WrestleManias coming up in the next over the next three weeks that you can dive into. Some of them are going to be a little bit longer form. Some of them will be short like this, 25 minutes or so. None of them will be our normal 5 to 10 minute episodes that we have done in the past. But starting on April 3rd, we'll be back with those. Uh, so on Monday, we will see you then. Till then. <laughs>